believe that all students should have opportunities to write in genres of their choice, but aren't sure how to get started? I'm Brad from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, author and editor Katie Woodray sits down with Matt Glover to discuss his latest book, Craft and Process Studies, Units That Provide Writers with Choice of Genre. In Craft and Process Studies, Matt offers a wide array of units and strategies to fit into your existing curriculum that will raise student engagement and writing proficiency. Here now is Matt and Katie. So Matt, it's great to talk to you about the new book. Are you excited about it? Um, I am excited about it. It's really nice to have it out. I've been thinking in, about it and working on it for quite a while. And so it's really nice to finally kind of have it out and um, start to see what people think, especially since I feel in some ways it's kind of swimming upstream against the um, genre current. So I'm interested in what people will think about it. That's an interesting way to put it, swimming upstream against the genre current, <laughs> which is actually, I mean, that's that's one of the things I really wanted to ask you about. I mean, I know that this book has been sort of living in your thinking for a long time because we've had so many conversations about it. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how it came to be and, and the need that you have seen out there in your work that this book addresses. Yeah, it's interesting how it came about because originally this was going to just be a small chapter in a different book around beliefs and actions. And it was really thinking about, well, if we believe that choice is impacts engagement in writing, then we'd have to be thinking about choice of genre in addition to choice of topic. And so really just thinking about how much choice of genre impacts engagement. It's been so much of what I've seen um, in my working classrooms across the country and international schools as well where just increasingly over the last 10 years, um, I'm in more and more classrooms where children go through year after year of school and never have choice of genre. Schools where um, from kindergarten through sixth grade, every unit of study from the first day of kindergarten to the last day of sixth grade is a genre study. I always want to be careful with this because I love genre studies, right? I'm traveling right now with 50 pounds of books in my suitcase organized by genre because I how much I love genre study and having a, needing a stack of texts to teach that. It's just not the only thing that children should be studying and that when we know how much engagement impacts or is impacted by choice of genre, um, we'd have to consider having some units of study in a year that allow for and provide for a choice of genre. Yeah. I mean, engagement is such an interesting word. And, you know, when I think about professional writers, people who write for a living, typically, if you ask them about their work, they lead with genre, right? They they tell you the kind of thing that they write. Like, I, you know, I'm a journalist or I write historical fiction or so part of the conception of who you are as a writer is tied to the kind of thing you like to make with writing. Would you say that that's yeah, true? Well, especially the like to make part. I really you know, engage in one type of writing. This is the type of professional writing I do. It's the genre I care about. In fact, one of the things I'm always amazed at is the people who write in multiple genres. I choose the type of writing that I engage in because it's the, um, or the type I find most engaging, most interesting. You know, which brings up an interesting thing when we think about with students, too, because for a long time, I'd always just say, well, students will choose the type of writing they find most engaging when they have choice of genre. But it actually opens up a whole nother world of possibilities with children in terms of why they're choosing things when we when they have choice of genre. Students will say things like, well, I, um, I tried I chose this genre because my friend recommended it or I chose this genre because I've never tried it before. In fact, my favorite one is this student who said, 
I just I chose this genre because I don't think I'm very good at it, and I think I could get better at it when we're not studying it, which is really <laughs> interesting if you think about it. Because what he's saying is, I think I learn best when the engagement is high and stakes are low. And so it's so interesting, though, the, the range of reasons that children give. And of course, we never even learn that about children if they never have choice of genre. Unless you have choice of genre, we can't even ask, why did you choose this genre and learn those things about students? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an important point. And that also makes me think about, you emphasize in the book that what are you making is a really different question than what are you writing or what are you writing about? And I'm I'm not sure that that's always crystal clear in people's thinking. So can you talk about the difference between those two questions? What are you writing and what are you making? Yeah, it's funny because um, that was the working title of this book, right? Long ago when I first just needed a title to hold its place, it was what are you making, right? And it, because that question gets at the full sense of um, as a student or as a writer, we're creating something. You know, with young children that we're making a picture book. We're making something that has pictures and words that all work together. We're making that about a particular topic and we're making that about a particular, in a particular genre. And with older children, the same thing, we're bringing everything to bear to create this piece of writing, to make something. And that's the other part of it is that as soon as you say, what are you making? It implies the question of, of genre. It's not just what are you writing about, but what's the genre you're writing in? What's the total package of this? What's the thing that you're actually creating? You know, it's interesting with young children, often when we ask them, what are you, uh, I'll say, oh, what type of book are you making? And they'll often respond with topic. They'll say, oh, I'm right. making a book about dogs. I'll say, well, but what type of book is that? What are you actually making? Right? What, is it a teaches about dogs, a story about a dog? And with older children, it's the same thing. I have, when I say, what are you making? That question sometimes stumps them. And when I sometimes say, well, but like, where does this show up in the library? Where'd you go find one of these in the world? What is this? thing because then it gives it a whole project-like sense of oh I'm building something I'm making something I'm creating something rather than just writing I think that's it and I think it's the it's also the um the space between topic and um vision of what you're going to turn it into and that the vision of what it will be is what comes from genre genre is that thing that gives you you know vision. So I have my topic and I, and now I can picture what I'm going to make it into. And of course, the only way to have vision for it mean, is that you've seen it as a reader, right? right? That you have a stack of text, right? Right. Or that if you're in classrooms and kids choose a genre that is not one you've studied and not one they've studied anywhere else, the only way they would know to choose it would be if they knew it right. first as readers, right? And even just maybe vaguely as readers, right? right. Like I have children who write songs, who've never had a unit of study on songwriting, right? And may um, not have read a lot of songs, but they've experienced songs. They know what this thing is and they know enough to give it a shot. That's interesting. Cause yeah. And you may not have actually ever seen a song written down or a screenplay, right? Mm -hmm. That's another one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But but I I know children writing scripts and screenplays, those kinds of things, even though they, well, I've got, I know a little guy who's writing TV shows. He's never seen a TV show script, but he's watched a lot of TV shows and he knows and, and he writes down what they say in TV shows and he figures those things out. That whole sense of putting all these things together, I know, to make something seems to be key. And the some the something, the tangible thing of it versus just, you know, I'm just writing something, I'm making it into something is huge. It, it also kind of has a little bit of a sense of student ownership in what am I deciding to make is a little different than what I've been told to write. 
What do you think keeps us so uh, stuck in genre study? And <laughs> yeah. how, how did we get so stuck in genre study? You know, it was interesting. I just had a teacher who, for the first time, had a craft or a process study. And she's like, well, I was a little confused by it. I was never had one before. She said, I've been in writing. I've been teaching for 10 years. I've been in a writing, you know, my students have been teaching with a writing workshop for 10 years, and I've never had anything but genre studies. And so I think some of this has been a misinterpretation of standards that have people think that everything has to be a genre study because standards, even though they don't specifically address certain genres usually. Um, so I think a lot of it is what teachers have been used to and the schools they're working in. It's kind of the point now where it's kind of becoming ingrained enough that people sometimes can't imagine having anything else. There are lots of resources out in the world that are primarily genre-based, which again, um, perpetuates that. Because, you know, the idea of, of craft and process studies or studying something other than genre is really, it's not new. It's been around for a while, but it, (laughs) it, you know, it hasn't really taken hold. I sometimes wonder if just the whole idea of every child writing about a different topic and then also perhaps in a different genre, just as scary. (laughs) Like, how do I support that? I mean, do you do that in in your work at all? Oh my gosh, all the time. And what's interesting is I don't think it's any more difficult. I think it's an issue of, again, people not being used to it. In fact, I can make a good case for a lot of ways that craft and process studies, students, or, you know, units where students are choosing their genre, which means that they're writing in lots of different genres, is actually easier to teach in in some ways. But again, if you're not used to it, it can feel a little different. There is partially a control issue with this, where sometimes teachers will feel more comfortable um, when everyone's writing on the same topic or writing on the same genre or doing the same thing, same day and same time. But we know that kind of flies in the face of how children learn and grow. And when it comes to things like choice of genre and how to manage that, there's lots of little just easy tips that will make uh, that easier for teachers. Mm-hmm. Right? So and your example, book is full of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like, for example, teachers will quickly often say, oh my gosh, wait, if I have eight different genres going on in my class, that now means I need to have eight different samples of my own writing and eight different stacks of text and eight conferring kits. And how am I going to manage to teach into each of these eight genres all in the same unit? Well, what's in actuality, that's much easier because you shouldn't be teaching into any of the genres because if you have clear goals for this unit of study, if you have a clear focus for this unit, then that allows you to not teach into the genre and teach into the unit goals. And so now conferring where I'm sitting now next to a child and I might be tempted to teach into the genre they're writing. And what if I don't have the resources for that? No, I don't have to worry about that because I'm not teaching into the genre. If I'm in a reading like a writer unit, I'm going to be asking them, what have you tried in your writing that you learned from somebody else? And then whatever genre they're teaching, I can teach into their, how they're noticing and trying out. Or as a punctuation study, it doesn't matter at all what genre they're writing in. I'm going to be looking at their punctuation, asking them how they're crafting with punctuation. And then I can use any of my resources to teach it with. See, when I'm conferring with a child, I don't have to have to show them the same genre that they're writing in because the skill isn't genre specific. Which is really liberating when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, really. And actually, it makes it easier in some ways. And I think, too, I think the, a point that the book makes really well is that these studies are, in fact, incredibly focused. 
Like the fact that everyone's not writing the same thing doesn't mean that you lose focus. They're very focused. They're just focused on something other than genre. Sometimes teachers say that, oh, this unit feels fuzzy or I'm not sure what to teach. Well, there's some simple things that help clarify those units and make it much easier. I just mentioned one of them, and that's in a unit when I'm conferring. You know, I'd think about if I was going to ask every child the same question at the beginning of a conference, I'm not saying you have to ask only one question, but if I was going to ask everybody the same question at the beginning of a conference, what would that question be? In a, in a reading like a writer unit, the, I'd ask, what have you tried that you learned from somebody else? Mm-hmm. If it was a punctuation study, talk to me about your most interesting punctuation move. This afternoon, I was in a fifth grade class where they were at a unit of study around using beautiful, rich language. The first question I asked in my conference is, talk to me about the most interesting, powerful language move you've made in this piece of writing. See, and what that does when I have that key question, it starts to clarify right away, here's the goal for this unit, right? Here's what we're working towards. And then it goes right along with that is if I've been asking that question, that's also what we're going to be thinking about in the writing celebration at the end of the unit. The end of that unit, not only am I going to, you know, not only are students going to share their writing, but they're also going to share a point where in their writing, oh, here's where I learned something from somebody else. Here's where I tried out the different type of um, language craft move or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the writing celebration, if we think about that before the unit starts, what are students going to share at the celebration that shows what they've learned in this unit? Not that they're not just, certainly we're going to share writing and enjoy each other's writing, but in any celebration, genre craft or process study, the celebration should be a reflection also of what students have learned in this unit. Mm -hmm. They should be showing off. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've accomplished. Mm -hmm. And same thing in a craft or a process study. Here's what I've been um, learning and trying out. Here's how I've grown as a writer. Mm -hmm. So if I have a key question, I have a clear focus for the celebration that goes a long way. And then if I have clear goals for the unit, then even more so I have um, a nice tight focus and it's every bit as rigorous as a genre study. Right. I wonder sometimes if there are obstacles too. in, I mean, one of the things that's nice about genre study is that there's kind of a, a rhythm to a genre study that is the same, no matter what genre you're writing, right? There's, they kind of play out in terms of your planning the same way every time, you know, you start with immersion to get a feel for it. At some point you've got to get ideas, then you draft, you know, they just kind of follow the same line. And, there, and it almost seems like there's kind of, I don't want to say scope and sequence because that's too regimented, but there is, there is a sequence to it and the scope feels contained. Whereas if you take a topic like beautiful language, learning to craft with beautiful language or strategies for revision, there's not a clear beginning and ending place. And there's not a sense, you don't, you, you don't really get a sense of, oh, I've covered it in the sense of taught everything. And so I wonder if, because that's sort of more intangible, the the scope and sequence, if you will, of the teaching, that it feels harder to grab onto. Yeah, I I think it can, but I do think there's some common toeholds, some common anchors that will help both across, you know, we do in genre studies, but we also think about, and certainly in craft studies and in some process studies. So in a punctuation study, again, there's an immersion phase at the beginning of that because we have to spend some time just thinking about what are all the different ways that people use punctuation, right? And get used to noticing what authors do in terms of punctuation. So there is kind of that's certainly an immersion phase. In fact, one of the things that often um, is a little toehold at the beginning of craft and process studies is do I need a mini lesson on choosing genres? Because a lot of times students just fall back on 
choosing whatever genre they wrote most recently or whatever they've written most over the years instead of really considering and thinking about what genre they might write in. And so um, there's some little toes like that, writing celebrations and getting ready for a celebration at the end of a unit. But I agree with you, in the middle of that unit, there's not always necessary a certain order those things have to go in, but there are things that I'm building towards. I'm looking at what are some easier skills in the revision study early in a unit rather than later in a unit. So I think craft studies have that a similar type of um, rhythm to them. Mm-hmm. And even process studies where some process studies would have an immersion kind of phase and other ones, I still there's a kind of a setting the stage. So if it was a unit on how to have better peer conferences, we need something at the beginning to help students think about, oh, this is what we're working on. Here's what we're working towards in this unit. Mm-hmm. But again, the other thing is it kind of is liberating in that something doesn't have to be finished in order to be able to share it at the end of a process study or a craft study. They might show maybe writing something much longer or something they're just in the middle of that they can show evidence of what they've learned right. without it needing to be this um, finished piece of writing. That's a good point. And I guess it's just to the, um, you know, you and I have talked about this before, the uh, thinking about study in a verb sense versus a noun sense really, really switches you're thinking about it, right? Because with, you know, you can go and study something and study it and study it and have learned a lot and there still be a lot more to learn, right? But I can show you, I have learned a lot in this study in, in a verb sense versus study in in a noun sense that's sort of just the name of a unit or, or something that's already been written. It's not an active stance to it. Well, I agree. And I think what it also does is it, it's um, a different implication for who's doing the thinking. Right. And so if it's a verb, that means that we're thinking together about this. I mean, think how different it is, you know, if a teacher comes in on the first day of a, of a unit of study, say a memoir study and says, here are the two defining characteristics of memoir, distance and reflection or whatever. I mean, the teacher's doing all the thinking that there's no study. There's no action in the verb sense and as the class, as opposed to let's walk in on the first day of a memoir study. And here's a, a memoir. Let's study what this author does. And so it's that full sense of, um, like you said, of, yeah, we're doing something. It's an, we're studying something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing in a craft or a process study. We're studying how do people talk about their writing? How do authors revise? How do authors think ahead in their writing? Or even how do, um, how do authors work with stamina for an extended period of time? Mm-hmm. Right? How do they you know, sit down and produce something? This, it's all studying what authors do, which is very different than just, like you said, the name of a unit of study. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, I mean, does the angling thing have anything to do with the fact that all of your chapters have three different titles? <laughs> Can you talk yeah. a little bit about why you have yeah, I, titles for your chapters? It does, because, and I'm sure that didn't thrill my editor necessarily. <laughs> for people who are listening, let me give them an example. Okay, I wrote one down so I would have it. So, for example, chapter 12 is titled Revision or improving children's disposition toward revision or supporting children's skills in adding, deleting, moving, and changing their writing. And so what I think happens, again, is one of the ways to try to clarify and make these units or any unit for that matter, you can say the same thing about genre studies, but to make units clear in the mind of teachers, right? What are we really working towards? And so a revision study, right? We can cause what most people might call it like you just said, but that that can be fuzzy at times. That might mean lots of different things to different people, especially if people aren't clear what they mean by revision to begin with. 
Um, but that's different than if we just go ahead and name it, which is what the third one you just said did, improving your, sk- your skill at adding, moving, changing, deleting, which is revision. That's a little more precise and helps clarify that. But maybe the reason someone chose a, is thinking about a revision study is because they have fourth and fifth graders who are reluctant to revise, right, which is not uncommon. And so maybe what we're really thinking about in this revision unit is different ways to revise, but our bigger slant, our bigger goal to it is we want students at the end of this unit to be revising independently and better in all of the rest of the units of the year, right? And so it's um, that has a different kind of, a little bit of different focus to it. On the one hand, we could say, it doesn't matter what the unit title is. What really matters is what are we teaching day by day? That will define the unit. But if we have a more precise name to begin with, now we have we can be more clear in what we are or aren't going to teach in the unit. Um, it helps with some of the things you're talking about, about the structure and flow of that unit. If we can say, oh, here's exactly what this unit means. Right. You'd be much more intentional about what you're teaching day by day if you were clear about what the big driving force of the study is, right? Yeah, well, it's like if you think back to um, about the authors where you, instead of calling it an illustration study, and I'm going to butcher it now because it's not in front of me, but something along the lines of how to have pictures and words work better together. That's a whole different context to it then. It's not about illustration. Right. It's about pictures and words working together. Right. Right. It right. gives a very different meaning to that. So, it's, so really um, what you're what you're doing with these optional titles is you're modeling for your reader how to not not necessarily giving them the possible titles, but you're just modeling how to how to come up with a name for the unit that really helps you orchestrate your work inside the unit. Right. And trying to do it in different ways. So maybe it's to clarify the unit. Um, maybe it's to be more specific in it. Yeah, I could have given five, 10 titles. Probably we could keep thinking about different ways to describe that unit. So I'm not thinking that it has to be one of those, but it might give somebody also an idea. And, oh, yeah, well, maybe that's how I could start to focus that unit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's much more the skill of thinking. And I, and I felt like if I only put one title in there, I'd be making that decision for teachers. Mm-hmm. As opposed to now there are three. Hopefully people think, oh, yeah, there's a fourth and a fifth that there could be. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, I need to be deciding what is the focus here. Mm-hmm. So to switch gears just a little bit, um, the book has tons of online video resources in it. And it struck me that so many of them are writing conferences, which I love to watch you have writing conferences. I've learned so much from you about conferring from watching them. And I also, you know, was just thinking about that, the role of conferring, uh, particularly in units of study that aren't driven by genre, seems particularly important. Yeah, certainly does. It's, um, I think, in a couple of different ways. One is, again, um, there's some things to be, like we talked about before, that it just will make that conferring a little easier, right? If I have a clear focus for the unit, that's going to help me to focus that conference in different ways. Um, but it's also, like always, crucial for students, just from the standpoint of many lessons aren't going to be enough, that those individual conferences are where I'm really going to learn about children, that if there's no conversation, if we're not having conferences, we won't begin to know what all children can actually do. And especially in this situation with craft and process studies, where we want to have an insight into what do they understand about the genre they're writing and what are they thinking about how they've chosen this genre, why this genre and other, we won't get at any of that unless there's some conversation, right? Unless we're actually talking and teaching into what they're working on. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why I've also, if I've projected this unit out, and they have a good vision for what this unit is, and I have a much broader range of teaching possibilities, 
that are going to help help make help me decide in a conference what all I might teach and to make that decision based off of unit goals. I mean, I think again with craft and process studies, I have to have that clear goal in mind of what I'm working towards so that I don't get sidetracked in conferences into other other things. Not that I'm not basing on individual needs, but just that um, I have to keep in mind what the focus for that unit is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the focus of that unit with this individual child, what does that look like? Yeah. And for what they're doing with this piece of writing and this, for this individual child and for this particular um, unit we're in, how do I have all those things work together? Mm-hmm. I just think there's so there's so much for te- for readers, teachers, readers to learn from watching watching those conferences. I mean, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, well, this is a very particular conversation with a very particular child that how does this really help me? But what happens is when you watch multiple ones of them, you watch lots of conferences over time, is what I'm trying to say, you really begin to get a feeling for how to talk to kids about it the kinds of questions that are important to ask, the kinds of follow-up comments and questions. And I I just think it's a, I love that you've put so many of them connected to the book for people to learn from. Well, you know, what's interesting, even as you're saying that, and you were talking before about kind of the rhythm through line, maybe of a unit of study, right? How there's kind of a predictable ways that different types of, you know, different units go. But there's a, I think it's that same thing when you can, watch lots of conferences, right? And um, it's what I've learned by watching other people's conferences. But there's some predictable patterns to it. Like I, in each of those conferences, I'm really thinking about and using, making sure that I'm trying to, uh, trying to making sure that I'm teaching versus just telling, reminding, correcting. What happens, happens so often is that people will give reminders and a little telling and a little correcting of something, but there's no actual teaching. There's no showing how to do something. Right. Whereas um, in each of those conferences, I'm using either a published piece of writing, I'm using my own writing, I'm using a student piece of writing to sh- actually show the child how to how to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's just and there's lots of little things like that across those um, across those conferences. Even though in the book there's wildly different conferences, right? I mean, you know, one of my rare conferences into someone writing a rap battle, right? And I had to pull on my limited hip hop knowledge to be able to think about how to confer. And it wasn't in, didn't really have to pull on that. Say, it wasn't conferring into the genre the child's writing is how to think about um, word choice. So, oh, yeah. um, but one of the powerful things about those, hopefully about those videos is that you're seeing the same patterns, regardless of what the unit is or what the genre the child's writing in. Right. Cause there's somewhere it's the same class, same unit Childhood children are writing in different genres. I'm teaching different things, but it's the same patterns of a conference. I also want to talk a little bit about your website. You have a new website, which is so uh, exciting that you kind of put together as a way to help support the work that teachers will do around this book. Can you talk a little bit about it and uh, describe for people what you've got there? Yeah. And so one of the things I've said for years um, to teachers is that, you know, when we're in, in particular, but not only, but in particular, a process study, where we're studying aspect of an author's process, right? In fact, it's not even just process studies, any unit of study where we're thinking about process that authors use, that's tricky to see on the page. Now, you can't, you can't see it on the page. It's, it's hidden. 
And so I've always said, oh, you know, but if you're, you know, if we're thinking about revision moves or thinking about, you know, the, um, about something, the equivalent would be to go to video clips of what do authors say about it, right? Um, we used to say, go to quotes of what authors say about revision or what they say about talking with others about their writing and why that's important. And then we could go to video, which is so much easier to get now. But even then, problem becomes it's tricky to go through and listen to lots of hours of video looking for the three-minute clip that you want to use in a mini lesson. Now, be careful. I think there's great value in watching video. There's lots of video out about authors talking about just their writing in general. But in a mini lesson, right, or in teaching, I want to say, oh, here, I want to show you this five-minute clip of an author who you know talk about why it's important to talk to other people about your writing or why it's important to talk about to read your writing aloud right some of those things that we wouldn't know necessarily that authors are doing so to make that um, a little more accessible for children I've just started this website and I've started just with five units basically um, finding ideas peer conferring how to use a writer's notebook um, revision and um, I'm leaving one out Anyway, but for these different process studies, right? And, um, and and it's just collections of video clips of authors talking about their process. Some of them are links to video clips out in the world that already exist. But I'm um, adding clips right now of just authors I've been interviewing. I have authors that I'm scheduling to interview and people I've interviewed. And I'm just asking them questions specific to those things that teachers might use in classrooms. I'm certainly planning on expanding that site. I need to get a reading like a writer section up there soon because I already have lots of video clips of talking about authors who they learn from. Um, I have a great clip of Lester Laminac talking about the very specifically the six authors he goes to when he gets stuck in his writing and how he thinks about their writing. And so I need a section to put that one up yet. So it's just, it's a site that um, hopefully makes it easy for teachers to find clips of authors talking about authors. I mean, talking about process and talking um, and, and a wide range of authors. So my biggest hope is actually that I'm not the only one populating this site. So if anyone goes to the site, which is author to author.org, there's a place right on there that if you're having an author visit your school, I put a bunch of interview questions that you could ask. You could pick a few of those videotape that and send me the link to whatever. There's a place right on this website to contact me. Um, I'd love for teachers to help populate that site. In fact, um, some of my favorite clips on there right now are two um, fifth grade students interviewing Nicola Davies and asking her questions about who she talks to about her writing and all sorts of interesting things. If you could interview any author in the world, like who would be your dream author to interview for your author to author site? All right, so that's tricky because if, if you had let, hadn't said for the site, if I was just going to interview, there's lots of people I'd like to interview because um, what's happened is I've become, since doing this, I've become much, much more interested in author's process, right, and how they think through things. So it's so fascinating already to talk to people and to interview three authors and they all answer things in different ways, right? And they're not all doing it the same way, which I think is such an important lesson for students that everyone doesn't do something the exact same way. So if it was just for my own interest, like I'd love to interview somebody like Michael Lewis, who I think is so interesting just in terms of how he writes informational writing in a very narrative way and how important story is to that. And it's almost this mixture of genres. And so I'd love to know how he plans that and how he, you know, if his revision's different for different parts of his writing or just lots of questions around that because he writes such interesting things. But that won't be very helpful for fourth graders out there who don't know who Michael Lewis is necessarily. So if I think about that with children's authors, 
I'm particularly interested in people um, who write in multiple genres. Like, so already there's an interview with Ralph Fletcher, and Ralph's so interesting because he writes poetry, he writes stories, he writes different things. One of the people I'd love to talk to about would be someone like Cynthia Ryland, who writes in such varied genres. Um, she writes every genre out there, it seems like, right? And in very different ages. And so I'd love to talk, I love it when I can talk to people like that who write for different ages, write for in different genres. And then we could think about how's your process different? How's it similar across those other, those areas? And I know she's your favorite author. So I thought I would throw that in for you as well. But it really is that that type of person is the person I am particularly interested in. She's one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've expanded my horizons over the year. You know, what's funny is when I first started the first picture book that I ever fell in love with was hers. It was when I was young in the mountains and this was years and years ago because I wasn't an elementary person. I was a secondary English major, but uh, I encountered when I was young in the mountains in a summer writing institute and, you know, it changed my life in so many ways. So certainly uh, she was the first author who really taught alongside me and I I knew her books by heart for a very long Mm. time. So when I have authors like that who I just like, there are authors who um, I'll just buy anything they write pretty much. And so those are people I am particularly interested in talking to, too. Someone like Bob Graham, who um, I just love his writing and um, would love to talk to him. Yeah. So if anyone has a good Cynthia Ryland or Bob Graham hookup for me, that would be, that would be great. <laughs> well, it's been great. I, I mean, I guess I would just like to close out. What are your greatest hopes for this book? You know, five years down the road, what difference do you hope this book has made in the world? Yeah, my greatest hope would be that because I work in a wide, wide range of schools and lots of different states and all over the place. And my greatest hope would be that five years from now, I don't walk into a classroom that only has or you know that only has genre studies or that my biggest hope would be that I don't talk to a fifth grader who has become a reluctant writer because he has spent five years writing in genres that aren't energizing for him and so my biggest hope then is that that this book helps increase a love of writing and engagement in writing for all children especially reluctant ones well, you do a really great job of providing a lot of practical, thoughtful support for teachers to make sure that happens. So I think it's it's quite a gift to the world that you've put together there, Matt. Well, it means, it means a lot coming from you, so I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your time today, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing what people have to say about the book very soon. Our thanks to Matt and Katie for their time today. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattGlover123 and Katie at KatieWoodRay. Learn more about craft and process studies on blog.heineman.com. As always, thanks for listening.